Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSE.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game-like panel discussion posted every Tuesdays in the offseason, twice during the regular season. The huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start with the pregame show where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle and then give you the latest USC Trojans football news. Now let's meet Tuesday's panelists, a WeRSE columnist who writes WeRSE.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball reports. He's also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC. That's Mark Culkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSE.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, and a graduate of USC, Eric McKenney. And a former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSC columnist who writes the popular WeRSC column Musings with Arledge and his own weekly WeRSC.com video show Musings with Arledge Solo Edition and is a graduate of the USC Law School, Chris Arledge. And a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious and not so obvious, IMHO Sunday and is an active member of the Football Writers Association of America your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojans Huddle, Greg Katz. Before we kick off this Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle, here's an update in USC football and athletic news. The USC Trojans practiced three times last week before breaking for academic spring vacation. The Trojans will resume spring practice next Tuesday, March 21st. One of the philosophical surprises last week was the revelation that on Wednesday's full padded practice, there was no holds barred tackling as the Trojans continue to elevate their physicality for the highly anticipated 2023 season. And in an administrative development, the Trojans announced that longtime NFL and collegiate defensive coach Greg Brown is expected to join Lincoln Riley's program. And in a USC athletics note, the Trojans men's basketball team, the number 10 seed in the East Regional, will play the number seven seed Michigan State in Friday's first round of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. That'll be played in Columbus, Ohio. Game will tip off at 9.15 a.m. That's Pacific time, televised on CBS. And also on Friday, the women's basketball team, a number eight seed, will play number nine seed South Dakota State in the first round of the NCAA Basketball Tournament in Blacksburg, Virginia, placed in the Seattle three bracket of the tournament. The Trojans, South Dakota State game, We'll tip off again. Uh, that's a Friday. The telecast will be on ESPN News at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And a reminder, you can also follow Trojans basketball and other USC athletics on WeRSC.com. Friends, WeRSC.com is inside the Trojan huddle. Great, greatly appreciate your viewer and listenership. And we encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the red subscriber and like buttons. It's greatly valued and it's free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojans Huddle on many available podcast sites. And a reminder, WeRSC.com is offering a spring ball subscription special. You can get all the WeRSC premium content for just $29.99 up to August 31st, 2023, or four months for just $10. All right, we kick off the first half with this. Panel, not every USC football player makes or stars in the NFL. Many are just great USC college football players and should be remembered as such. 
In today's special Inside the Trojans huddle, we recognize those USC stars on both sides of the ball who are outstanding to great college players. We'll start with the offense and debate the defense in the second half of the huddle. So here we go. Panel, in your lifetime of following USC football, name a USC quarterback that didn't make or star in the NFL, but still is considered one of the memorable greats for USC. As always, we start off with our leadoff hitter, Mr. Mark Culkin. Who is it at signal caller for you, Mark? You know, this is a this is a really interesting um, category. And actually, I really like these questions that you chose for this week, Greg. But uh, when it comes to USC quarterbacks, I, I have a final candidate, but I'm just going to go over a couple of them real quickly. Sure. First of all, does Sam Darnold, can we put him on, on this list right now, even though he's still in the NFL? Well, he's not a star, but he's in the NFL, sure. We qualify. Okay. Um, Sanchez definitely qualifies as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think even though he got to the AFC championship game a couple of times, that butt fumble just looms a large shadow over his NFL career compared to what he did at USC. I mean, he had, he had a really great year. Uh, JD booty um, had a great year. At, had a great time at USC. Todd Marinovich for obvious reasons, but the winner for this category, it's gotta be Matt Weiner. I mean, when you do as much as you do at USC, and then you end up in the NFL, and I mean, I, I think he's known for having a hot tub party with his head coach's daughter. So it's got to be Liner. Uh, all right, that's uh, we'll we'll put, file that under the hot topic of uh, the uh, jacuzzi uh, category. Uh, Chris, what say you? So. Um... Mark has already named all of the quarterbacks from the Pete Carroll era, except for Carson Palmer. Um, I was going to, I was going to go with John David Booty, uh, who I think is, he, he did a lot less in the NFL than, than, uh, than Sanchez uh, did, for example. Um, but I'm going to come with the, I'm, because he already said all those names, I'm going to come with one out of left field, Tim Green. Tim Green was the quarterback in 1984. If you go look at his numbers, they weren't very good. Um, but that was a different era of football. But he came in and uh, uh, he came in and I think that Sean Salisbury was supposed to be the starter. He may have gotten hurt or something. I can't remember. Green came in, played pretty well and took USC to the uh, to the Rose Bowl and actually beat a much higher ranked Ohio State uh, team in that game and threw, uh, threw a big touchdown pass at the end to ice it. So I'm going to go out of left field with Tim Green. Good choice. Very interesting. I didn't. I didn't think of Tim Green. Eric, did you think of Tim Green, or do you have who? Who do you have? Not even on my radar. <laughs> yeah, I have Tim Green. I, of all the names, <laughs> that's, that's also who I had. Uh, no, I mean, like like Chris said, right? Mark took them all, and I'm surprised that he didn't go with the guy that that I thought. Again, Matt Matt Liner, as far as what he did at USC where he was drafted, the expectations, and then what happened in the NFL. He's an easy one for this. Matt Barkley is it for me. Just, the, I mean, he's USC's all-time leader in passing yards, in passing touchdowns, probably with numbers that that aren't going to get touched because guys are not going to start as many games or as play, play in as many games as he did. The fact that Caleb Williams is going to do what he's going to do in two years at USC, 
and still not really be able to shout at Matt Barkley's numbers, I think tells you kind of what he was able to do. And then you look at him in the NFL and he's still there. So, so again, it, it's tiptoeing that line of NFL success and, and how do you want to define that? Because it's 2023, Matt Barkley has not been at USC for a long time and he's still there getting NFL paychecks. Again, being a backup quarterback, practice squad quarterback in the NFL is, is not a bad way to make a living, but you know, he's, I think he's got like less than 400 pass attempts in his entire NFL career. So, so I'm going to say again, for a guy who came in as a number one uh, overall recruit who played that much for USC, the thought was he'd be a big time NFL guy. Didn't quite live up to that, but oh my goodness, what he did both kind of a, as a leader, as a performer, a producer, all of that stuff as a quarterback at USC, just nothing but high praise and, and great memories of, of Matt Barkley as a Trojan. You know, these are all excellent answers based on your age, your experience. Uh, I'm going to represent the senior citizens group that uh, views here uh, inside the Trojan title. I'm going to go way back and I'm going to pick somebody you never uh, was in the NFL. And my answer is quarterback Steve Soggy. 5'10, 174, quarterback to 67 USC national champions. He was also selected by the AP, UPI, and Pac 8 coaches as a first team quarterback on the 1968 All Pac 8 All Conference team. Steve, by the way, was also an excellent catcher on the Trojans baseball team. And he truly was a guy that you could say he played football was great in college and should be remembered as such but as the years roll by the 1967 team seems like way 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 back when but since i saw him play uh i'm i'm tossing a little bit of love to him so let's move on panel in your lifetime of following usc football name a usc running back that didn't make or star in the NFL, but still is considered one of the memorable Trojans. Uh, Mark? I'll keep my list to one for Chris, because I know I'll take one of his. No, no, take all of them before we get a chance to speak. I think that's fantastic. Actually, they, they were just three names, and pretty much for sentimental reasons. Ricky Bell, Joe McKnight, Herschel Dennis. I'm not going to say anything more than that on them. But Lendale White, um, I think, is my guy at running back. Um, you know, he had a couple of good seasons in the NFL. Um, but that's my point. Had he had half the Kobe Bryant Mamba mentality, he could have been an amazing running back in the NFL. But at USC, he was great. And so um, he just jumps to that to the top of the list for me. You know, at, he didn't practice when he was at USC because he didn't have to. He was that good. I mean, you talk about the epitome of being a gamer. I mean, he was Allen Iverson in football. Okay. Chris, do you have an an Iverson comparison? No. Um, well, no, this guy's, this guy's kind of short, too, so maybe. I'm going to go with Ricky Urbans. Um, had a pretty decent rookie season in the NFL, actually, but never was a star and didn't play for a long time. But you're talking about a guy who was a Rose Bowl MVP, first-team All-Pac-10, rushed for almost 1,400 yards and, and 10 touchdowns as a junior, um, and was a um, 
particularly in 1989, was a great, great running back for USC. And a fun, and a fun guy to watch, um, you know, probably wasn't more than 5'8", maybe 190, 195 pounds, and tough to bring down. So that's my guy. Eric, who's your guy? Uh, I had I had a couple, both kind of same same time. Uh, Stephon Johnson and Alan Bradford were were guys that I went with. Stephon, obviously, he had that you know the the terrible barbell accident and and then hurt immediately when he got to the NFL and just some real bad luck there. But always gonna remember the way he finished off that touchdown drive at Ohio State, a, a huge drive. For USC, I mentioned Matt Barkley, that game pretty big for, for a couple of those guys. Uh, but then Alan Bradford, there was a run that he had against San Jose State to open the 2009 season, I think, where he got down the sideline. It was like a school bus, just absolutely unleashed. That play still, no, no play or USC player, have I ever gotten more random texts from people that I haven't hadn't talked to in a while with who who was that guy like that that was the kind of impression that he made at that size running like that um he also that washington game where he ran for i think something like 220 yards and two touchdowns and lane kiffin found a way to have that production from a running back and still lose a game to washington kind of puts a bow on on his entire time here uh but but that was one of those guys where he was kind of a joy to watch play running back I know there was so much talk should he play linebacker should he move there in the NFL he did move over and and spend some time on on a few different teams there at linebacker but the guy Alan Bradford averaged over seven yards a carry in 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 2010 like th those are some significant numbers and he was really fun to watch all right uh, i want to just for point of uh, reference um i want to mention steve soggy just for a brief moment he attended gardena high school and i know people from gardena high school say well why didn't you say he's from gardena but he was a mohican and uh i just wanted to set the uh, record straight now on this particular Stop burning mattresses gardena it's okay <laughs> you've been recognized <laughs> Um, you know, when you think of running backs, you start thinking of tailbacks and kind of left out of the mix sometimes is fullbacks. And so I was thinking to myself, you know, <laughs> all those running backs you've mentioned, they're all good. I even thought of Aaron Emanuel, uh, that I think he was that great. Uh, there was others, Steve Grady, who was a great coming out of high school and, you know, eventually became the head football coach at Loyola. But then I started looking at the fullback position and I said, okay, They've had running full. They've had some running fullbacks. Ben Wilson in '62 was a running fullback who was tremendous. Uh, but then I thought of uh, some others. But the one that came to mind, uh, and I could have mentioned Sam Cunningham, but he was a great star in the NFL too. So I decided to say uh, Leroy Holt from Wilmington, uh, California, Banning High School, who was the first USC fullback to start all four years. He broke. Sam Cunningham's all-time records for rushing yards, and he carried without a fumble, never a fumble. He went to the NFL. His career was cut short after a career-ending fractured vertebrae in his neck during a preseason game. But I'll tell you, I saw him when I was uh, with the Edison football program, 
And I remember seeing Edison was playing uh, Banning and Leroy Holt. This was incredible. Leroy Holt was the fullback. And uh, Jamel Holloway, who eventually started at Oklahoma, was the quarterback. And they ran the veer option uh, out of an eye, kind of a Ohio State. But they, they were incredible. Uh, but Leroy Holt, I don't think if he would have gotten hurt in the NFL uh, and he had had a career, I, I think he could have really asserted himself. So I'm going to go with uh, uh, with him. There was a couple others I thought of, uh, but based on the category, uh, I'm going with that. So panel, moving along, in your lifetime of following USC football, name a USC wide receiver that didn't make or star in the NFL, but is still considered one of the memorable Trojans. Mark, who is it? It's a long list of these guys. Um, and I will spare everybody. I'm just going to go Mike uh, BMW, Mike Williams. Uh, and you know, he tried to leave for the NFL early. Obviously I think everybody remembers that. And he had what one solid season in the NFL. Um, but you just think back at what he did at USC in those two years and how dominant he was. I mean, literally, if you wanted a first down, you threw it to him. You wanted a touchdown, you threw it to him. You wanted to stop the drive against Cal that ended up in a triple overtime loss. You stopped throwing it to him. Um, but I mean, that's the kind of impact he had on a game. And the fact that that just never, that never carried over to the NFL for whatever reasons, um, Mike, Mike Williams is going to carry that, that tag, at least for me. But again, that list is long. Yeah, it's a long list. And I think that's an excellent choice to be honest with you. I thought Williams, had he stayed one more year, uh, and not been so itchy to go to the NFL, it, it might have been a year that really would have helped him maturity-wise. Well, uh, following Maurice Claret, and we know where Claret ended up. So absolutely, absolutely. Chris, who do, who do you got? Well, first off, that's a that is a great call by by Mark. I, I think Mike Williams is arguably the most dominant USC player I ever saw. I mean, he was that good, and he would physically dominate for wide receiver, which you don't see very often. It was just. But I, I think he had the same issue in the NFL that Lindell White had, right? I mean, Mike Williams wanted to play wide receiver in the NFL at 260. Well, that didn't work very that didn't work very well. So I'm gonna go with a guy who is not nearly as good as Big Mike Williams. Not that this is a slight because almost nobody is as good in college as Big Mike Williams. Uh, I'm gonna go with Eric Affolter, Rodney Pete's favorite target, first team all pack 10, and one of the one of the great iconic catches in USC history with his juggling grab against the Bruins to win it in 1987. Uh, I loved Eric F. Holter. And, um, and so as soon as I saw this category, that was the first name that came to mind. Eric, who's the first one that came to mind to you? Mike Williams. That this was, this was the easiest one. Uh, but because he's not there, I, I, Again, there's a long list. I'll go and I'll split it between Marquise Lee and Dwayne Jarrett. Both those guys played in the NFL. Both those guys had some solid seasons and uh, put up numbers that I think a lot of really good college wide receivers would say, yeah, I'd take that NFL career. But based on what they did at USC, what the thought could be for both of them in, in different ways, they got it done. But Boy, the thought was for for me certainly, these are going to be big, big, big time guys coming out. Um, I think it's interesting they both were sort of paired with similar receivers, Steve Smith uh, and Robert Woods, and 
they both kind of lasted and, and did more, which again, all four of those guys seem like professional wide receivers their entire careers at USC. Uh, but again, what, whatever goes into not becoming a star in the NFL, it tripped up, I think, both of those guys a little bit and, and the expectation for them. I still... That Marquise Lee game at Arizona, when it seemed, I did, I don't know what, whatever he finished with six miles of offense is still mind boggling. When you go back and look at, look at that again, again, found a way to lose a game when, when a guy put that kind of, of statistical performance together. But my goodness, what he did in that game, he, he was just a, a different kind of kid uh, on the field that time. Well, I, you know, there are no ro- right or wrong answers. It's your perspective and how you saw it. And it was, it's interesting here that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, Mike Williams is, is a choice. Uh, but I'm going to agree with Chris on this one. Since you're looking for players that were outstanding in college, and maybe you know didn't do quite as hopeful as they thought in the NFL. I'm going with Eric Appolder from Oak Park High in Ventura, California. As Chris mentioned, he was an All-American, of course. He established USC records for most receptions of the season at the time. Uh, his career was cut short by injury, uh, but what he did as at the size that he was, uh, you know, a lot of credit to him, and that's why uh, I have him on the list. All right. Moving uh, on, in your lifetime, the following USC football name as a tight end that didn't make or star in the NFL, but still is considered one of the memorable Trojans. Mark, who is it for you? All of them? No, I'm I'm kidding. Um, Alex Holmes, he he was so fun to watch at USC. He literally was like a, a bull in a china shop when he had the ball running up the field. He was just a rumbling, stumbling, bumbling. And if you didn't knock him down, he was gonna knock you down physical blocker but when you think back to the usc tight ends you know they had a mackey award winner fred davis um but you start forgetting the names all of a sudden usc's had a lot of tight ends but they really don't do much past usc so i just chose uh like i said i went with alex holmes just because he was fun to watch okay chris yeah, I, I, I had two because I thought my first one was going to be taken and my and my backup was going to be Alex Holmes. But uh, so I'm going to go with Dominique Burt, um, a great tight end at USC, excellent pass receiver. And talking about iconic touchdown catches, his one handed grab against OU in the Orange Bowl was spectacular and, and I think really set the tone for for what was coming uh, the rest of that first half. That's my guy. Eric, who's your guy? Yeah, it does seem interesting with USC that the tight ends who seem to do the best in the NFL are, are not the guys that you'd expect. I mean, you know, for for Billy Miller, I, I think he had like a 10-year NFL career and, and did really well. Like, There's some guys like that, that that go off and do really well. Red Ellison stuck around for seven, eight years in the NFL um, that kind of thing. So I also went with Alex Holmes. I remember so much I, he he just kind of just kept chipping away, right? One catch a game, two catches a game for those prolific, prolific offenses. And it was so funny to watch, 
you know, Reggie Bush get out in the open field and just light things up. And and Lendell White kind of, you know, with that size, still super athletic and, and dodging between people. And then Alex Holmes would get this dump off pass. And it was just this Mack truck turning up field, just trying to get those legs turning. But but he was such a solid and, and necessary part of those offenses to make that work. That kind of Norm Child play action rollout dump off to this guy that had 40 yards of space and needed every bit of it to turn up field and, and generate some yards. But again, so so much fun to have that kind of as an as an aspect of those offenses where you just knew he was going to pop up every so often and be a guy that that got things done for that. But but again, that was at a point where you're watching USC offense and it does feel like it again a little bit where it's like a- anything they roll out there is is going to work. Um, and so he had to love being, being a part of those groups that he got to play with. Alex Holmes was the first gear of your stick shift car on that team. <laughs> and you had to really work that clutch to get him going. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Scott Galbraith from Highlands High in North Highlands, California. As a senior, he earned a second consecutive uh, two-time All-Pac uh, 10 honors as part of the 1990 Rose Bowl winning team. He finished his USC career with 51 receptions for 571 yards and five touchdowns. He went on to the NFL. Uh, he had a, a decent career, not star-studded by any means. But during that time period of the, of the 90s, uh, in 1990, he, he was really, really good, really good. Uh so uh, interesting way, since we all grew up in different time periods and watching it, uh, to hear the different answers. All right, we'll uh, finish up the offensive side of the ball. Uh, in your lifetime, and this is going to be a hard one. I, 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 I got a feeling it's going to be a tough one. Panel, in your lifetime of following USC football, name a USC offensive lineman that didn't make or star in the NFL, but is still considered one of the memorable Trojans. Mark, who is it for you? You know, it's funny. I went back and I looked at the USC's 2004-2005 roster because that was, I think everyone would agree, USC's most dominant teams when Pete Carroll was head coach. And you look at their roster, not too many offensive linemen did well in the NFL. And they had a lot of good offensive linemen, at least at USC. So this guy actually played, I think, six, seven years in the in the NFL. But I'm still going with Winston Justice. He bounced around. But, you know, what he did at USC, you think about it, in his three years, he blocked the three Heisman winners. But his his sophomore year was, uh, it was interesting. I, I think he was known more for what he did off the field at USC than, than what he did, even though he blocked for three Heisman winners. So Winston Justice, he had the the Pelican situation. He was trying to pay for a date. <laughs> Winston Justice. That's but, what I like about you. Mark. You 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 bring this this the stuff kind of like a tabloid. The the uh, <laughs> interesting social life, the way you mix it. It's hey, it's not like no one remembers us, right? So I'm just reminding. Well, you're but you're very good at, at incorporating it, Chris. I'm going to go back to the same uh, era, but I'm going to go with a different guy. John Drake, um, interior offensive lineman, uh, made his mark at left guard. 
Winston Justice was a gigantic recruit coming out of high school, not just in terms of size, but, uh, you know, he's a top 100 guy, probably a five-star guy. John Drake was kind of an afterthought, and he was huge. He was way too big. He was out of shape, and they stick him in the middle of the line, and he turns into an absolute monster, just a road grader, and brought a um, and brought a um, an attitude to those early Pete Carroll teams that USC had not had in a very long time. And uh, he was he was one of my favorite players at the time, just an absolute monster inside, mauling people and opening up huge holes for that running game. He was actually my first pick, by the way, Chris. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for saving it for me. Uh, did, he not, did he not have enough stuff in his personal life to talk? I just about remember the anecdote to... of them dangling a cookie in front of him and making him chase it to to lose weight. So. <laughs> Now that's the type of stuff you get with Mark Cook. And who would know dangling a cookie? In fact, if I asked Mark what kind of cookie, he'd probably tell me whether it was chocolate chip. Or you could ask John food. Drake because it was his anecdote. <laughs> Do you have an anecdote? Can you top that, uh, Eric? No. Uh, <laughs> I do have a guy, though, if, okay. if you're ready for a, for a pick. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say Jeff Byers. Um, he's a guy that came in as, I can't remember if he was the, the number one overall guy, but he was up there. He top, top 10, certainly in the country. And to ask whether he was a, a center or a guard, whatever, he's an interior lineman. Those guys do not get ranked in the top 10. So, so already the expectation of this guy being like a program changer or saver, or a guy who was going to be you know, and, and all American right away. Like that, that was so much to live up to the injuries that this guy dealt with at USC, the, the hip surgery, the, whatever the one, the Rocky mountain spotted fever, what, whatever the, the thing was that he had to deal with, there were multiple years that he couldn't play and all he did was fight through it and try to get on the field and was on the field as much as possible for USC and turned into a very good guard, played a little center, but did as much as I, as I think you can ask a guy to come in and, and kind of fight through all that. He ended up in the NFL and played a little bit. Again, we're talking about when, when, when you're at USC, you can talk a lot about guys who came in very highly recruited and then maybe didn't have the the NFL year just because that's what the numbers are, are going to say happens when you recruit that many highly recruited guys. Uh, but he's a guy that came in day in, day out, put in the work, did the stuff, played on some um, some good teams at USC and just kind of pushed through and, again, dealt with so much in terms of injuries, got that extra year and and kind of kept going. So he he was fun. Uh, he was a fun guy to watch. And, and again, a guy who didn't really get bogged down by, you know, these were my expectations and haven't lived up to him yet. And so I'm, I'm quitting or, or doing something like that. Okay. Well, I'm pulling out the senior citizens card again. So I'm going back to 1967 uh, offensive line. USC had two uh, number one draft picks. Perhaps you've heard of Ron Yeri uh, in the pro football hall of fame. Also Mike Taylor was the other tackle. And uh, to the rest of the offensive line sometimes gets overlooked, but uh, I know that Dick Allman, the center for USC, was a very good player. Uh, he listens to the show and watches uh, inside the huddle, so appreciate that. Uh, the late Steve Lamer was at guard, uh, was an excellent player. But the one I picked 
And I think this goes for all generations when you're just picking a guy who was a wonderful football player, a stud for his time period and for his size. I'm going to go with a player named Mike Scarpace from Birmingham High in the San Fernando Valley. Mike was about six feet, six one. And in those days, that at 255, uh, that was a big offensive guard. That was a big offensive guard. Uh, Scarface played three seasons blocking for Heisman Trophy winners Mike Garrett, O.J. Simpson. He earned all Pac-8 honors. One of the big memories for those who have watched the uh, 67 replay against UCLA was Earl McCullough was a uh, flanker, uh, wide receiver, and he took a reverse and broke for something like 60 yards down the USC sidelines towards the peristyle end. And at the end of the play, he got hit and he fumbled the ball. And USC was not moving the ball very well in the first half at all. But he fumbled the ball. And wouldn't you know it, the guy that made the huge recovery was offensive guard Mike Scarpace, that he hustled all the way downfield to uh, to do that. It was one of the biggest factors in the game that perhaps gets overlooked at the time. Mike went on, had a very brief uh, pit stop, coffee stop, if you will, the NFL, and then uh, uh, I think it was the World Football League. But uh, boy, you t- when I used to work in the Monterey Park Recreation Department, I used to run a facility called Barnes Park. He would come in and play basketball. And watching Mike Scarface uh, uh, play basketball, let me tell you, you talk about you didn't want to take it, get a charge from from Mike Scarface. He he played violent on a basketball court. So, uh, all right, let's move on. Halftime panel in your lifetime of following USC football. Name a USC place kicker that didn't make stardom in the NFL, but still considered one of the memorable Trojans. Eric, we'll start with you. I mean, it's it's not the conversation you want to have, right? But Mario Danello is is the guy that that didn't get a chance to do that, and I think everybody remembers that that what happened there. The I believe I believe Idaho that they did kind of the the missing man formation for him, and just as absolutely just talking about him as as a player, forty and in, absolutely automatic, and and again, just a guy that you wanted on your team both locker room and on the field and and that's again not we're not it's a different type of discussion but again a guy that that I think a lot of USC fans remember pretty fondly yeah that's a great point uh Mario Danello what an incredibly wonderful kicker and what an incredibly tragic event uh it was just absolutely mind-numbing Mark who do you who do you have Eric you handled that well well done um Frank Jordan, I mean, what he did in 77 and 78, end of story, period, done. <laughs> when you when you beat US, UCLA and Notre Dame, you get your own special category. You get your own velvet rope. Chris? I'm going to go with a, I'm gonna go with a guy who, who did make an NFL roster and, and played for a little while, but I'm going to use him anyway because he may be my all-time favorite kicker, David Beeler. This is a guy, this is a guy who was, who was listening to an NFL corner on his team talk trash and challenge him to a race, a 50-yard race, and beat him. He's a guy who played some fullback at USC. He absolutely crushed people on kickoffs. He's one of the great 
he's one of the great kickoff uh, cover guys uh, in USC history. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but um, most of the time he kicked it through the end zone. In fact, that's that that was the the niche he found in the NFL is uh, is a kickoff specialist. But um, but this was a tough guy and a good athlete, and he would hit you. So I, I like Beal. Yeah, that 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 is a good choice. Um, I'm going to go again uh, back in time. Uh, people my age, a little bit younger, might remember the name Chris Limahalu. Uh, unique, five foot five, 130 pounds, from Covina, California, South Hills High. He was born in Indonesia. He earned All Pac-8 first team honors as a 1974 senior when the Trojans won the national title. He was 10 of 17 on field goals, 39 of 43 on PATs. He hit a 50-yard field goal against UCLA that season to break his one-year-old USC distance mark. Uh, he kicked a field goal and a PAT in USC's 18-17 to 17 win over Ohio State in the uh, celebrated 1975 Rose Bowl, which brought uh, uh, John McKay's last uh, national championship uh, under his watch. Um, he was a real, I mean, when he walked in, you'd never guess that he was the kicker and he was going to do this much damage. Unfortunately, he passed away at an early age, but uh, he was definitely worth noting uh, a great, great kicker. All right, let's head on into the second half. All right, panel, we kick off Tuesday's second half of Inside the Trojans Huddle with defensive players in your lifetime that may have not made or starred in the NFL, but still are considered one of the memorable Trojans panel. In your lifetime of following USC football, name a USC defensive lineman that didn't make or star in the NFL, but is still a memorable Trojan. Eric, who's your defensive lineman? Uh, I am going to say Omar Nazel. That guy was part of that sort of uh, wild bunch. I think that was two, right? When that when that was there, 2002, 2003. And it's not complete without him. I mean, you you needed all those guys and and the Mike Patterson and Sean Cody and those guys. I I, the, I think they had the NFL careers, you know, maybe not dominant long time stuff, but played well enough. Omar Nazel, I don't think ever got into the NFL or, or did uh, got got on a roster. So he's the guy that I'll go with again. Just just not complete up front there without him as part of that group uh and and that was a that was a pretty good group that was a fun group to watch i like that one because he always gets overlooked with those with uh cody patterson you and you that's the guy that, that everybody forgets he was a good football player now and that was wild bunch too if i remember correctly uh mark who do you got you know <laughs> I can't decide between Mike Patterson and, and I know said Ellis played in the NFL, but it, to me, it just seemed like he should have had a much better career. I'm just going to go with Mike Patterson. Um, he was just fun to watch at USC and I, his size. I mean, he wasn't, I, he wasn't even on USC's radar. I mean, he was Ed Orgeron's like first recruit. He, he's like, Hey Pete, I got this guy down, down there in Los Alamitos. Can I have him? And he's like, yeah, go for it. And that's how he got to USC. And he had a really good career. And for me, the play is always going to be the, the fump scoop, fumble scoop and touchdown run against UCLA. I mean, it was just 
That was great. So, Pat, Pat, Chris. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the uh, to the late '80s again and and go with uh, Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan was um, a two-time All-American in '88 and '89. He actually set the USC single-season sack record with 20. He wasn't an edge guy; he was a down lineman that had 20 sacks. Uh, an absolute an absolute monster in college. Uh, only started five NFL games. He didn't play very long in the NFL, but he was a great college football player on one of the all-time great front sevens in USC history. I mean, Tim Ryan, Don Gibson, Dan Owens, Junior Seau, uh, Scott Ross. I mean, that was a that was a loaded defense, and he was uh, and he was you know one of the keys to it. Well, since Eric brought up Omar Nazel and uh, basically Wild Bunch too, I believe. I'm going to represent the older ARP generation, and I am going to go with a lineman who was really was tremendous, but then he suffered injury, but he was part of the Wild Bunch in 1969. That would be Tony Terry from Long Beach, California, St. Anthony High School. Again, one of the least publicized members of the original defensive line of the 1969 Wild Bunch. He was known for his reckless abandon, hard-nosed play, uh, defensive unit that he was part of. USC went 10-0-1 in 69, including that uh, low-scoring Rose Bowl win over Michigan. Uh, and he did it, although he had a hamstring injury for much of the 69 senior se season, he still recorded 43 tackles. Three-year letterman, 67-69. to 69. He was a member of uh, USC's 1967 National Championship team. Started in, in three Rose Bowls, with Trojan squads that won conference titles in each of those years. And um, I, I think that Tony Terry is one of the least publicized players on that wild bunch. I even thought of maybe a little bit of Tody Smith. Uh, I even thought of uh, uh, Monty Doris, uh, who was a great nose tackle for USC. But I thought that Tony Terry was kind of had the heart of fight on playing through the injuries and the so on and so forth. So, Let's move on here. Panel, in your lifetime of following USC football, name a USC inside linebacker that didn't make or star in the NFL, but still is considered one of the memorable Trojans. Eric, who is it? Uh, it's it's Mac Rudigan, right? We're calling him an inside linebacker, and that's the answer. Uh, again, the the guy made the NFL, so the the – He's too small. He's too whatever. Like he he got to each level that you aspire to get to uh, when you play football. I think that says a lot about him. But no, the, he he's when they make the USC, I guess you know Rudy thing. He's going to win the World Series and the Super Bowl and you know everything that that he can do because he actually he actually did all of that stuff on the field. He was a phenomenal player and the stories about him kind of grow and grow and grow but gosh you look you go back and look at the some of the high school stuff he did some of the college stuff it, it, again he was different he he played at a different level than those guys this wasn't a oh little guy who can play you know with the big guys that he he was better he was better than a lot a lot of the guys that he was going up against mark who is it again another list that could be pretty long um i'm gonna go 
Ray Mayaluga, even though he had some good years in the NFL, I, I think his good years got wasted um, because of his off the field issues. But when he was at USC, oof, um, I, I know Pat Callen got back up, but that might have been the most vicious hit I've seen any quarterback take ever in my life. And he got back up, <laughs> but that was a hell of a hit. And Ray Ray at USC was a tear. That was a tear. He was a tear. <laughs> Speaking of tears, Chris. Well, that seems unfair. Well, um, I, 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 was, I was getting ready for your retort to Mark's comment. No, no, I think I, I think that was a I think that was a good choice. I, I think Eric had the right answer. I mean, the, the first thing I thought of was Matt Grudegood for all the reasons he he gave. Matt Grudegood was an incredible football player. But I'm going to go with a different guy because he already named him. I'm going to go back to the I'm going to I just mentioned his name a few a few minutes ago. He played on those late uh, late 1980s teams. Scott Ross, inside linebacker. He was all Pac-10 first team three straight years. He was first team All-American in uh, his senior season. He was named USC's team MVP, most inspirational player and the team defensive player of the year. By the way, he was playing with some monsters uh, on that on that team. I mean, you know, Mark Carrier, Cleveland culture, Tim Ryan, who I mentioned, Junior Seau. I mean, there were some great football players on that defense, and Scott Ross was uh, in some ways the heart of that uh, heart of that team. Uh, just a super tough guy, and I think he may have started all four years. He was a spectacular football player. Um, Sad ending. He was he was one of a bunch of linebackers on that team that uh, that died very early. He he died at, at forty five, and uh, a lot of those guys did. There was an article about that a few years ago. If you haven't seen it, but um, yeah, great football player. Uh, so I'm going to go with Scott Ross. Well, I can see why you guys picked the guys that you did, and um, I kept trying to say, okay, now who do I really think was a great inside linebacker that was not an NFL guy per se, but was the epitome of a great college inside linebacker. And no matter how much I tried and how much I spend generations and decades and everything, one person kept coming to my brain and uh, I'm going to go with him. Our own Kevin Bruce from La Cunata, California, St. Francis high. Kevin made three Rose bowl appearances against Ohio state leader of the Trojans defense that won the 1975 Rose Bowl game against the Buckeyes. If you remember, that was an 1817 thriller. Trojans became national champions. Kevin was selected a team captain on the 75 team. And by the way, uh, Kevin will also be remembered for a big fumble recovery in the classic 1974 USC comeback win against Notre Dame in the Collie. He was a Trojans 75 team captain, all-conference selection. Honorable mention, All-America. He was the classic, in my opinion, great in-college football player with an incredibly high motor, effort on every play. Uh, he would tell his teammates what to do. He told them to go to the sideline, told the coaches, get him out of here. He's not playing well. Uh, again, I know he's part of our staff, but he was just a phenomenal football player but he was on a team of phenomenal football players and he was an unassuming guy. He let his actions speak louder than words uh, on the field for the most part. And uh, 
you know, if you get a chance to watch this, the 74 comeback win against Notre Dame, near the end, they show a picture of him with his long hair, his uh, ultra big smile. And uh, to me, he's what it's all about. So congratulations to uh, El Capitan. Uh, panel in your lifetime of following USC football, uh, name a defensive end or outside linebacker that didn't make or star in the NFL but we consider one of the memorable Trojans. Eric, who is it for you? Yeah, so I, I'm taking the outside linebacker approach, um, and it's it's probably – we'll see. I, I, I know there's a lot of guys up on the line of scrimmage, but uh, so, so I went with outside linebacker, and it's probably even more dropped back than that, but I picked Deion Bailey as my guy at outside linebacker. He's one of the first kind of safety – linebacker hybrid type of players like that his numbers at USC again he was he was a big time safety recruit came in and and played I had to look up his numbers he finished with more tackles and more interceptions than Sua Cravens did and Cravens played that same kind of safety linebacker hybrid spot Dion Bailey had 223 tackles in three years at USC he was I believe the the freshman defensive player of the year in the conference uh, as a uh, redshirt freshman, uh, he had 11 sacks, five, or sorry, 11 interceptions, five his final year at USC, four the year before. He left early, and, and I would have loved to have seen him play another year at USC, but just, a, again, a fun kind of undersized, spunky, like, guy that would go hit you and, and play solid defense, just a, a fun guy to watch play in a time at USC where things were a little rocky and dealing with all the sanctions and the fallout and all that stuff. If you play defense in those years for USC with the numbers that they had on the roster and the lack of depth, it, it's kind of Iron Man status for you. And, and he's a guy that played a ton of football those few seasons uh for usc but but again it's when you say defensive end outside linebacker probably not a guy that comes to mind but that outside linebacker kind of hybrid uh position he's one of the first guys i can remember sort of recent football kind of really gravitating to that and, and making a, a bunch of plays okay mark yeah you know i've been literally trying to think of a player to, to throw out there um Kaluka Maiava. Literally, you think about that linebacker group that USC had. Uh, you had Cush, Cush, Brian Cushing, you had Ray Ray, you had Clay Matthews Jr. Toluca was pretty darn good when he <laughs> when he got to USC. And he had a hard time, you know, finding a spot in that rotation. He he played a lot, don't get me wrong, but he was literally like considered the fourth guy. And um, you know, he got drafted in the NFL, but he was just a, a solid linebacker. USC's had a lot of them, so that's why I'm trying to think of you know who stood out and then flamed out. And I don't know. It's 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 hard to that 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 was probably the hardest category for me to to pick a name. Chris, how hard was it for you to pick a name? Yeah, I, it was a it was a tough one for me too, actually. And and. Um, I love the Deion Bailey pick, by the way. I didn't think about him, and that's a great one. Um, I'm going to go with a guy who I, I think of as more of an outside linebacker, um, but um, 
but I'm not sure that he was exclusively outside. I'm going to go with Keith Rivers, a number 55, an All-American. It was drafted number nine overall in the first round, but but didn't but didn't do a ton as uh, as an NFL player. I think started maybe two years in the NFL. Um, but the thing about Rivers was he was he was one of those early guys that uh, that Carroll pulled out of um, pulled out of Florida, um, you know, pulling him away from uh, from the SEC and. And I guess at that time, maybe uh, maybe Urban Meyer. I can't remember if Urban Meyer was at Florida at the time. But um, really good football player and, um, you know, first team all Pac-10. And uh, and because he was uh, one of the number 55s, I think that means he has sort of a special place in USC history. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I struggled a little bit with this one, mainly because so many of the Trojans outside linebackers uh, – in the last, I guess we could call it uh, generation, <clears throat> excuse me, were all Americans or impact players at some level at the NFL. So I'm thinking back and I'm going, okay, now during the Carroll years, Lofa Tatupu was the middle linebacker and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and Matt Grudelgood came into SC as a safety, uh, strong safety. And they were trying to figure out what, where can we put this guy? Uh, because he's only about six feet, maybe 215, somewhere in there at the time. And so I said, I think they put him an outside linebacker. So I went with Matt Gutegood as uh, from modern day high in, in Santa Ana, California, as my outside linebacker. And again, another epitome of a super uh, player that in college uh, who didn't quite translate into the NFL, but, um, you know, he, he was a 2004 consensus All-American, uh, but he was such a low-key guy. SC went 42 and nine his career. He was a member of SC's uh, nat two national championship teams. And I think some people forget he was actually a finalist for the 2004 Butkus Award. And, and he was a team captain for USC in 2004. Uh, was also the co-inspirational player award on the team. Uh, yeah, he played some NFL, and then he finished his career in the CFL. But although he never became a professional superstar or star, he really is an epitome of, of being a great college football player. And I just want to end on this note. I've lived in Orange County since 1976, okay? Uh it turns out that's a long time now. But when I was in high school going to Hamburg High uh, in 67, 68, Orange County high school football was big time, but not a lot of schools like there is today. And I tell you what, uh, eventually trans, you know, watching all of the players that have came through like the powerhouses of Anaheim High School and some of the others, I can honestly say, in my opinion, as humble as it might be, that he is the greatest high school football player. I'm talking about Matt Grudegood ever in Orange County. Uh, I just can't see anybody that played on both sides of the line of scrimmage at that level and that efficiency. And one of the, you know, there's, obviously there's been great players at modern day, but this guy was in a world of his own. He, you know, I, I always think now with um, Tackett Curtis coming in, I go, is he going to be a bigger version of Matt Grudegood? Because when I watch him on film, offensively, defensively, 
you know, he too, like Matt, played some quarterback. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how how he's compared to uh, Matt Gutegut in the future. All right, uh, panel, in your lifetime, let's turn to the USC corners that didn't make or star in the NFL. I think this was the most challenging category of them all, in my opinion. Uh, so I'm really interested to see what you guys came up with. So, Eric, who did you come up with? Uh, he wasn't at USC for long, but Will Poole for me. Uh, he got drafted fourth round by the Dolphins and was there for a bit, but injuries kind of derailed any sort of long-term NFL career. Uh, that USC team is still pretty good and very good without Will Poole, but my goodness, what a year he had uh, when he was there at USC's first team all-Pac-10 guy. Uh, I, I looked up his stats real quick, 80 tackles, three sacks, seven interceptions, 19 pass breakups, four forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries. That's a season for, for some defenses now. Uh, to, to And then what he did right in that Rose Bowl slash national championship game against Michigan, two big sacks, uh, that that's... That's something for a national championship team to to put that season together um, and come over sort of the way he did. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll ahead of the ahead of times with the transfer portal, veteran cornerback coming in. Uh, but yeah, and then and then for him not to have kind of the the long um, NFL career because of injuries, it's. I think you're right. Corner for USC, it's a little bit like tight end. Some of the guys that, that you expect maybe aren't going to have like the long NFL careers. They find ways to, to hang on and, and stick around uh, in the NFL. So again, I went, went with pool for that one. Okay. Mark. Yeah. I know this is Chris's wheelhouse. So I, I, I would like, actually, can I defer to him on this one right now? If he accepts the offer. I, I'll look anytime you guys want to defer to me, it's okay. <laughs> um, Man, that was a rhetorical question wasn't it? i'm gonna i'm gonna come up with one that probably nobody is thinking but and, and this this goes back to the 80s when i first became a usc fan because i love so many of those teams i'm gonna go with a guy named greg coet who i think was actually moved to corner from linebacker and he played corner like a linebacker um it was a different era coet would not be uh he would not be a corner in today's in today's game but he's a pretty, but he wasn't a bad cover guy. I think he had four picks his uh, his senior year. But what he was really known for is he destroyed people. He was a big time hitter, a big physical guy. And uh, when I first became a USC fan, I really loved Greg Coet and the way he hit people. So I don't think anybody expected that one. But Greg, wherever you are, good job. You're my guy. <laughs> okay, so that takes us back to Mark. Look, I got no stats or anything to back it up, but uh, Marcel Allman was, I think, one of the greatest athletes to ever play at USC, and he could play pretty much any secondary position. I think he finally settled in at cornerback. Uh, I remember that game at Auburn, um, but other than that, you know, he didn't. He he was good at USC. I thought he would have a really good NFL career because of his athleticism, but it just never really happened. So a lot of cornerbacks at USC that played well there. But, um, you know, as Eric said, the ones you don't think about have the long careers. Like, I, who would have thought Nikel Roby would last as long as he did with his size? It's yeah, it a tough position at USC, right? Because you think of the linebackers and the running backs and, 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 these, uh, and these other positions where USC has just 
churned out monsters. That's not really the case at corner. You look, I mean, USC's obviously had some good corners, but it's not like, you know, it's not like the safeties or the linebackers or the running backs or the wide receivers at this point. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tougher position to pick from, I think. That's why whenever we do the, uh, like the all-time teams, somebody rushes to take Ronnie Lott and stick him at corner. Like we don't all know that he's supposed to be at safety. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, just before I give my answer here, what did you guys <laughs> think of Brian Kelly? Where, where, where does he rank as far as, in your opinion, at cornerback uh, based on the criteria that we have uh, for this? Yeah, he picks uh, the ball up in the end zone against Florida State. He's the greatest cornerback to ever play. Yeah, that was a good group, too, with Dalen McCutcheon. But those, I mean, those guys both played a long time in the NFL. I don't know if they were NFL stars, but they both played a long time and had successful NFL careers, which is why I didn't pick either one of them. But that was that was a good duo, a really good duo on, on teams that weren't that great. Okay, uh, I'm going to pick Danny Reese from Wilmington, uh, California, Banning High School. Uh, Reese was a two-time All-Conference <laughs> in 1974-75, respectively. He co-captained along with Kevin Bruce, the 1975 Trojans. At the time, legendary coach John McKay said of uh, Danny Reese, I don't think there's a harder hitter in the country. Uh, after intercepting 14 passes in the first two years as a starter, Danny ended his career with 18, two picks short of the Trojan school record. It should be noted that Reese was also a standout punter, a punt returner. And some people believe that he would have made All-American, but I, I don't know if I agree with this, but the fact that he was also a punt returner in those days detracted from him being elevated to, um, to All-American status. All right, so we're going to wrap up this uh, second half with the final category, and that's going to be uh, safeties uh, that make, uh, went to the NFL or uh, didn't, but still are considered one of the great memorable Trojans. Eric, who's, who's your safety? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm just pounding like a five-year era here over and over, but it's Taylor Mays, right? For for safety. I mean, he was chiseled out of marble and sent to USC as a top two recruiter for recruit in that class overall. Uh, he ran so fast that I think he had there was like a problem at the NFL combine where like they couldn't get his time right. I, I mean, it was the video of him hitting uh the Penn State receiver and also like nine guys on his own team and the grounds crew all at the same time him running down Javid Best uh in that Cal game like what whatever you wanted him to do physically he could do it you started hearing questions like going into his junior year maybe halfway through his junior year can he cover what are his ball skills? And those just kind of kept going and kept going and kept going. And that eventually, that plus the size, shifted him to linebacker in the NFL and just couldn't couldn't stick around for as long as what he could do on the field, running around, chasing people down, hitting people, and, and what he could do as a college player didn't quite translate uh, to the NFL. But But boy, was he fun. To watch. I mean, I, I remember him as a true freshman out on the practice field 
and you look and he didn't have it he wasn't i guess when i when i talk about him being chiseled that happened later when he first got there it, it took a little bit he looked like a defensive lineman i mean maybe even a defensive tackle at the time running around back there with the safeties still beating everyone in drills and then you i mean that size with that athleticism that, that does not come around very often so he he was a an easy call for me at safety Mark, did you have an easy call on this one? Yeah, and Eric took it. I mean, I can't believe you didn't even mention he took out both of Arizona's running backs in one game, uh, almost on back-to-back plays, I think. So yeah, he was he was literally a student assassin. And last year, he was USC's student assistant on the coaching staff. So Taylor Mays is the easy pick, but because Eric, you know, so eloquently painted his uh, his career, Darnell Bing. I think is probably another safety that had some good years at USC. They took, you know, Garrett's number out of retirement for him. Now it's uh it's, it's kind of the in thing to do. So, um, you know, again, you go back to that game on the plains in Auburn, he popped the Auburn's receiver's helmet off and, you know, was just a really physical fast guy who could have played running back at USC. Um, he re- can return kicks but he just, he didn't have a great NFL career. I know he got, he was up there with Detroit, but I don't remember much after that. Was he in a Raider too, for all you Raider fans out there? Chris? So I like those picks. Um, and Taylor Mays was, he was a human missile. Yeah. And the funny thing was that he had a teammate who was probably as big a headhunter as he was, and that's Kevin Ellison. Kevin Ellison was an absolute monster. Uh, and huge too. I mean, the, when USC had Taylor Mays and Kevin Ellison at safety, they had two guys that were both going somewhere between 225 and 235 who would just take heads off. And, um, you know, my, my standout Kevin Ellison moment was, was his hit on Deshaun Jackson. Um, I mean, very, it may have been the first series of that game, but very early in the game. And he just unloaded on Jackson and almost cut him in half. It really set the tone for the rest of the game. Um, Ellison played in the NFL, but uh, and, and I think started for a year with San Diego. But didn't have a huge NFL career, um, but that guy was a stud. So I'm going with Kevin Ellison. Yeah, you know, this category was interesting when I when you say safety. Sometimes you say, well, depending on the system, was he, is he a strong safety or is he a free safety? Uh, and to me, it got me thinking about what, my perspective on the category was so what i picked was again someone from a different era uh depending on how you pronounced his first name it was either artemis or artemis but i'm going with artemis parker from sacramento california sacramento high a 73 consensus all-american member of the 72 usc national champions he was also uh, a 73 all-conference first-team selection. His nickname, of course, had to be T. So some people refer to him as T. Parker. What was interesting about uh, Parker was uh, he's considered uh, one of the first big USC safeties. And at the time, there was a lot of question about how tall he really was. He was listed at six foot three. I think he was closer to six foot four. Uh, weighed 215 pounds, which was huge in those days. Uh, He is USC's career leader in interceptions with 20. 
uh, passed away much too early in time, but a great, great, roving, intimidating uh, football player. Uh, got every honor you would want coming out of high school. Didn't quite translate to the NFL uh, per se, but college football player, fantastic. All right, we move on to overtime, viewer questions, panel answers. Uh, so let's get to it uh, from some of our standard uh, people that we always appreciate. For This is from Gilbert in Arizona. Now that the team is on spring break, what is your fondest memory of spring break, break vacation? Uh, okay, now you can bear your souls, guys. Uh, obviously, this spans beyond any football. So uh, anyone want to volunteer what you used to do on spring break? Yeah. It feels like a Mark question. Like reporting about spring break is like right, right up his alley, right? <laughs> it was not safe for work stuff, trust me. Let's just go right past this question. <laughs> Well, I'll say this, spring break meant very little to me. Uh, I didn't go to Palm Springs like a bunch of people did. I didn't go to Newport Beach like a lot of people did. To me, I always considered spring break a ripoff because I go, why do we get uh, two weeks vacation for winter vacation, AKA Christmas vacation, and only one week for spring? So I always felt that there wasn't anything to do because once I got used to sleeping in again, we were back in school a week later. So that was always my memory of spring vacation. Anybody else want to? Well, I want to know, Arledge, what did you do for spring vacation? You know, I, I, I didn't do anything. I was, um, I wasn't like Culkin. I was, uh, I was a good kid and I, <laughs> and I, I obeyed the rules. I behaved. So I didn't do anything on spring break. I travel a lot during spring break or I have as an adult um, because that's the favorite <laughs> time to get away with the kids. You can, you can go places where the weather's uh, still decent, but there aren't crowds. It's a lot cheaper. So I have a lot of family vacations I took uh, during spring break that I enjoyed. But spring break when I was in high school and college, no. Yeah. I was. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let, 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 let's set the record state with McKenney here. He went to USC. USC's renowned for everybody goes to Newport Beach or whatever. Eric, where did you go for spring vacation? Yeah, not, I mean, nothing really, nothing really stands out. Um, there, there was never a, you know, sp spring break woohoo uh, tra <laughs> travel itinerary for me. All right, a perfect segue to question two. From Ace Money, one, two, three. Basically a two-part question. Who is the last USC recruit that you felt was as likely to be a star is Zach Branch, and how do you compare your excitement level between Zach and Adori as a freshman? Jump in. Who who is it? It it might be for me. It might be Adori. It might be going back there. Amon Ross St. Brown was close. He was a he was a guaranteed hit. Uh, I don't know if I felt the ceiling was as high for Amon Ra as I do for Zach Branch, just because of the, the burst and the explosiveness that Zach Branch has, I think is a step above Amon Ra, which again, any anything being a step above Amon Ra is, is high praise because he came in absolutely a, as polished as you'd want any true freshman to be. Uh, but Adori was different and you knew that wherever he played offense, defense, corner, running back, wide receiver he was going to make 
he was going to make an impact and he was going to do a lot. Um, but Zach is the fact that he's just going to play offense and he's probably going to play some special teams too. Uh, I, and, and the fact that he's in this offense, right? Like the, the, that he's in a Lincoln Riley offense changes things for anybody for if, if any of those guys we're talking about as offensive guys came in, in a Lincoln Riley offense, the expectations would be higher. So uh, it, it's starting to I mean, Zach Branch has been a college player for all of three official spring ball practices. And uh, this is like world record pole vault level that, that we're setting the, the bar at um, for him. I think he's going to be really good. I think the idea that he has like a 1300 yard season and scores, you know, 15 touchdowns, probably not going to happen, but he's going to make some plays that are going to be eyebrow raising and okay. That, that guy's here. Um, I, I think that's, I think that's a guarantee. Injuries are always going to be the, the unknowable for young guys. Um, but he's, he's short, but not little, right? Like that, the way you talk about guys like that, he's, he's thick, he's put together. He can take, uh, he can take a hit. So again, expectations are already really high for him. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid to talk about Zach Branch because I know Eric McKinney will make fun of me if I do, but um, how excited I am I about Zach Branch? I mean, look, he is, I think Adoree is a good comparison. I think Reggie Bush is a good comparison. You're talking about guys who are on a field of really good athletes because, you know, there are a lot of good athletes on a, on a division one uh, 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 field, especially, especially at the level USC plays at, but you're talking about guys who are different than everybody else. And, and uh, branch is actually faster than Reggie was in high school. He's faster than Adoree was in high school. Just we look at the track times. He's faster than those guys. Um, he has incredible start stop. Uh, I agree with McKinney. There are too many, there are too many talented guys on this team for him to put up huge numbers as a freshman. I don't think he will, but I think he's going to do thing, uh, do probably just about every week. He's going to do something that will leave you in awe. He's that, he's that talented. Uh, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I, I tell you what, I think, um, when you when you leave out the fact that it's a recruit, not a wide receiver recruit, uh, but a recruit in general, I think from what I've seen of him, and I've seen enough of him, uh, and when I've seen Reggie Bush's uh, high school videos, uh, I think he is a top of the line uh, player like Reggie is coming out of high school, a can't miss player. Uh, I always look at Dory as you know, obviously tremendous on both sides of the ball could have been a star, no matter what, ask Notre Dame, what they think of him uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, but uh, I, I think that uh, Zach branch is the most explosive player since Reggie Bush, in my opinion. Now, Ace money, one, two, three also asks outside of Caleb, who would you say are the one, two most critical offensive players that uh, we can at least afford due to injury. I know we have more depth this year, but still worthy to ponder. Comments? Uh, Justin Dietrich. Yep, <laughs> that's the guy. You don't want you don't want to lose your center, and and that's a guy with a ton of experience who's going to be able to make all the calls. They could survive. USC, other than Caleb Williams, can survive an injury to really anybody in the offense other than Caleb. 
but that's the guy that you would, that's the guy that would make you grimace a little bit and say, eh, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about next week. So, uh, so I think, I think Mark's right. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. I think it's definitely just indeed it. If he goes down, I've seen it when SC has had problems at center because of injury and they traditionally have a real difficult time in rebounding from it. I'm with that though. I'm interested to see how much time really Jonah Monheim gets there at center because he's a guy I that this has been talked about since he got to USC. Yeah, he's he could be a center down the line. He's snapped a lot at USC. He works on it. I mean, it's not he didn't just stick out there at right tackle and that was it for the last few years that he's been at USC. So again, all every coach that's ever coached him at USC talks about how smart he is, how he gets it, how he's he's an interior guy at the next level. He's needed to know that stuff. So I'm curious if it's if it's Andrew Malek or if it's Jonah Monheim, I'd assume that they want to get Monheim ready because physically he's ready to go. Mentally, I think he's ready to go. So that would be a, a very interesting thing to me. Again, if you can keep Justin Dietrich healthy, we're, we're going to go with him as much as we can. Yeah, look, I, it, one of the exciting things about this team is it's not just it's not just the best player in the country, a quarterback and, and skill guys around him especially when Ethan White shows up, this is a chance to be the best offensive line in quite some time, I think. I mean, this is a really good group with talented guys, a ton of guys with experience. So, uh, you know, you can lose one of those. You can probably lose two of those guys, but it's where you get a string of injuries up front that, uh, that, that things get iffy. All right, from Scott in Gilbert, Arizona, <laughs> kind of a timely question for sure. What are you guys hearing about the future of the Pac-12 as a conference? Any truth to the rumors that Oregon and Washington could join USC and UCLA in the Big Ten as lesser share partners? How about the four corner schools jumping to the Big 12? Does the Big Conference have a new commissioner yet? I mean, why would they even be considering adding teams without a uh, guy in charge running the running the negotiations? So I, yeah, I, and I don't know why at this point you would be worried about Oregon and Washington jumping somewhere. If you wanted them, why would you be worried about them jumping? Where are they going to go? The SEC, Washington, SEC, right? There's nowhere else for them to go. They're not going to run to the Big 12 if they can, if they think there's any chance of the Big 10. So I don't see any reason why the Big 10 would have to rush this. And I suspect they won't. Um, the four corner schools, will they jump? They might. If Oregon and Washington leave, they will. I mean, what else are they going to do? That's a disaster scenario then. I think that uh, the Pac-12 is in a lot of trouble right now because no matter what they do with whether they're streaming media or whatever, it's still going to be like, oh, okay, fine. Uh, I don't think that Washington and Oregon would uh, join the Big Ten if they were offered Especially when I say offered, I'm saying I don't think they'll take a lesser share of partners. I don't think it would look bad on the Big Ten's point to say, okay, we got all these other schools, but you two aren't equal to the rest of the group. Uh, so I don't think that that would happen. Uh, the four corner schools, uh, they may be forced to go. They may be forced to go because, you know, I think that uh, 
Kalayakov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, has been pretty quiet on this. And every week it goes by, and I agree with John Wilner, by the way, the San Jose Mercury on this. Every week it goes by is not a good sign for whatever outcome is going to happen. Maybe we'll be all surprised, but I think the Pac-12 is in a lot of trouble uh, in the near and far future, to be honest. I think, you know what, I, I, I actually think there's another reason why this, uh, why this Washington and Oregon of the Big Ten at a reduced uh, level uh, wouldn't happen. I actually think Washington and Oregon might take that because the reduced level may still put them well above what they're going to get the PAC, uh, in the Pac-12 or Pac-10, whatever, it is, whatever it's going to be. But if you're Indiana or Purdue or Illinois or Northwestern or any of these other schools, You've been sharing equally with Ohio State and Michigan for a very long time. That's been, uh, right, that's been one of the fundamentals of the conference is that is actually going to share equally. Once you make an exception to that and bring in two other schools uh, at, a, at, a lesser, at a lesser amount and break that tradition, uh, I have a feeling three years from now, eight years from now, I don't know when it is, but there are going to be a lot of schools looking at Rutgers and Maryland and Illinois and saying, I don't understand why they're making as much as me, USC, or you, Ohio State. Shouldn't they take a little bit less, too? If I'm those schools, I absolutely do not vote for, any, for anything that breaks that tradition of pure equality. Because if you're one of those other schools, you do not want anyone to ever consider ending equality between the, between the schools and the conference, I think. Well, that's, that's a good point. All right, last question. Simple one from Larry in Altaloma, California. Do you think that Dylan Riola will sign with the Trojans? Comment. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. That's uh, today. And I think it's going to happen. It's just not a, it's a matter of when, not if. So on that note, we end on consensus. A reminder again, if you have a question or comments for our panel, Go to either the WeRSC message boards, click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojans Huddle viewer or listener questions. That does it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. We hope you enjoyed this special edition. So until next Tuesday, a big thank you again to our outstanding panelists, Mark Culkin, Eric McKenney, and Chris Arledge. And a special thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojans Huddle. Have yourself a great remainder of the week. Enjoy spring vacation if you're on it. This is your moderator, Greg Katz, saying, fight on, everybody. <laughs>